What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. And for those of you who are tuning in just a second late, welcome to another episode of Visitor's Bullpen. We are live on both Periscope and Facebook Live right now. If you're listening later, you'll be listening on TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Spotify, or just finding it on Blog Talk Radio. So thanks again for tuning in. This is I'm Matt Wire. This is Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, you know, we caught ourselves today. We've done so many episodes now. We kind of lost track, and it's it's getting to that point. We're getting up there, so excited to have another episode it's awesome yeah we're having fun with it baseball's having fun with it we're getting into that final stretch run september baseball where you know it's supposed to be exciting there's not really a lot of uh you know pennant races to keep an eye on besides the wild card teams but other than that um it's it's fun to watch i mean you get to see a lot of minor leaguers that haven't had chances and september call-ups on bad teams jp crawford's coming up for the phillies this week has he made his debut yet? Made his debut, yep. He was playing third base and batting seventh in his debut, so forgot to look back and, and see how he did, but it's definitely exciting. You know, they might have prematurely brought him up. I don't know if he's exactly ready, but it's the time of the year where you kind of got to see what you got in the minor leagues, and it's time for the Phillies. So Exactly. This is really where depth is stretched thin um, for a lot of teams. Uh, injuries are, you know, taking their toll. It's a long season, so mm-hmm. we're wrapping it up, though. Playoffs are just around the corner couple teams are going to be clinching soon. I know the Nats, uh, Magic number six, so they're on a 10-game homestand right now. They'll probably be clinching at some point there with the Marlins 18 games back in the division. So um, looking forward to that happening and you know, looking forward to some September baseball and October baseball. So I just want to hit you with a quick question before we start. I know we did this last week. I'll start it again this week. It's not a trivia question. It's more of a debate. But uh, who do you see have a brighter? Who do you see having a brighter, brighter future in the major leagues? Um, Andrew Benintendi or Clint Frazier? Ooh, the injuries have definitely been a factor in Frazier's um, Mm -hmm. career so far. I mean, young career. But, um, you know, Benintendi was, you know, the consensus higher prospect while he was in the minors. He hasn't shown the power that some people might have been looking for. But at the same time, you know, you like his bat. He's consistent. Um, He's hit for high average. I think just simply because he's proven at the major league level right now. Um, I'm going to go with him, but Frazier, I think, uh, has a higher ceiling. Some could, uh, you know, he has a lower floor, but higher ceiling kind of player, high risk, high reward. But right now with the way things are going, you know, Ben Attendi could win rookie of the year with how bad uh, Aaron Judge has been in the second half. So uh, that's something to be said. So I'm going to go with Ben Attendi right now. I don't know if I really agree with he's in the rookie of the year award race. I mean, I would say I he mean, doesn't have the home runs. A, a, rookie, that. a rookie that's hit 40, he's probably going to hit 40 home runs, finish with 42, 45 home runs, somewhere in that range. I think Judge still wins rookie, rookie of the year, but I think Ben Attendi's got a brighter future than Clint Frazier. I mean, it's it's kind of premature debate just because Frazier hasn't been in the ma- or majors as long as Ben Attendi has. But Ben Attendi's done in the playoffs. You know, he did it last year with the – with the Red Sox coming up at a young age and then doing it again this year. So uh, I would have to go with Ben Attendi right now, but small sample size for both players. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to both of them, though. I think the AL East is in good hands moving forward with all the young talent that's yeah. you know on the Red Sox and the Yankees right now. Um, so the other teams might be lagging behind. But um, overall, I think those two teams are going to be good for a while, and it's going to be exciting to watch. Yep. Now, what is everyone talking about? Yankees-Red Sox. So we're going to go ahead and stay on that with Watchgate. Uh, New York Times released, was it yesterday? Yep. Yeah, yesterday. Um, or it might have been the day two day, Two days yeah. ago, we were in class together. We were in we class together. Um, so, basically, if you aren't caught up, 
the Red Sox have accused, or sorry, the Yankees have accused the Red Sox of stealing signs using Apple Watches. They had a um, bench coach in the dugout using an Apple Watch to text back and forth with people up in the box and um, to like steal signs. They were using cameras and stuff. In return, the Red Sox have accused the Yankees of stealing signs using a camera with their TV network, Yes Network, um, having it pointed right at um, a bench coach in the dugout and stealing signs that way. So right now, baseball has a pretty big um, conundrum on its hands. Kevin, do you think that heavy penalties should be levied, especially for the Red Sox? I mean, the Yankees' evidence is a little more circumstantial. The Red Sox have admitted to doing it, so... Um, now it's in Commissioner Manfred's hands. Kevin, what do you think you should do? You know, I've, I've heard a lot of opinions this morning from different baseball writers out there. And my opinion is that it's okay to steal signs as part of the game. Players study film. They, they go out and they, they try to steal these signs. And I don't think it's a problem. I, I think the problem lies with the technology. With today's age, there's a lot of technology out there. You see with the Apple Watches, which I shouldn't... I don't think any technology should be allowed in the dugout. So I don't know why even... The, the bat boy has a, a watch on. And no one in that dugout should have a watch on or a phone or anything. I think technology should be taken out of the game. Um, I understand that the Yankees were trying to use the Yes Network to get the cameras on the, the coach, and there's nothing they Major League Baseball can really do about it. But I think they just need to uh, tinker down a little bit and, and get rid of this. But I don't think stealing signs is the problem. It's the technology in the game, and I think that – just needs to be taken out. Yeah, they do have a rule right now that you're not allowed to have internet, which is completely understandable. But teams do use iPads to break yeah. down um, previous film that they have um, on pitchers and hitters. So, like, you know, if your starter is yeah. dropping his arm slot, you can go in and show them real quick, hey, listen, like, your arm needs to be this high. Keep it up. And, you know, that can help turn the game around. But with Apple Watch, it probably wasn't being regulated. Um, and just kind of slipped by as, you know, it's just a watch and no one was really paying attention to it. That was, you know, they, they used that as an edge. And I think that with stealing signs, it's fair because both teams can do it. Yeah. You know, like you, you can have a guy at second base and he's staring at the catcher as he's making the signs. And that's understandable. Like that's part of the game. There's something you can do about that. Um, you can't really like, you know, prohibit that from happening because how are you going to stop it? Yeah. And, you know, and then like. But with the technology, there's a rule that says you're not allowed to have internet. So the fact that the Red Sox were using internet during a game, that's what I think is the biggest issue here. I think a draft pick would be um, good think, compensation. That's, that's probably what they're going to do. Yeah, that's probably what Maybe some fines. Because um, a draft pick, honestly, doesn't, after like the second round, it doesn't really do anything. So I would guess they take away a second round pick. Um, if I were Manfred, that's probably what I'd do. Um, just because they admit, at least they admitted to it, they're playing, um, they're not playing hardball about it. They're launching an investigation that should be done by the end of this season. So we'll probably have some sort of rule issued over the offseason. I think baseball doesn't want to take away from the playoff run and everything. So they're probably not going to issue a statement until afterward. But yeah, I mean, that's cheating in in its purest sense. So I think that Base stealing is perfectly fine, or not base stealing, <laughs> sign stealing, stealing. Yeah. Is, is perfectly fine. I mean, it kind of adds to an edge to it. I mean, there was actually um, a report, or not a report, but uh, in a game the other night, the A's and Angels played where A's players were apparently looking down while they were hitting at the catcher and uh, trying to steal signs that way. And Angels took notice of it. There was an ejection in the game. That, I mean, come on. 
like A's, the A's is really young, are a really young team. Yeah. And the um, their quotes afterward were like, you know, we're young, but we feel like we're being disrespected because apparently the Angels catcher stared them down. Um, Juan Gatterall was apparently staring down multiple players, including Matt Chapman, who was a third baseman and was ejected. Um, and he took notice to it and that, that come on, you know, you're a professional athlete. There's going to be intimidating things going on. I don't really think that, you know, we're a young team. We should be respected. You know, go out and show them. I mean, look at the A's record. Earn respect with your game. Exactly. So for that, I think that it's a non-issue. You know, something like this probably wouldn't even make headlines if it weren't for the fact that this whole Yankees-Red Sox thing is going on. So I think that's, you know, part of the game, and the Angels kind of have to deal with it. But, like, if you're a hitter and you're – you know, looking peeking down at the catcher. I mean, I'd say something if I were the catcher. I think I think that part of the game is kind of bush league. I don't think you should look back at the catcher. Mm-hmm. I think that's just an unwritten rule of baseball. But I think baseball has a. It's so unique in the way that there's so many unwritten rules, and that's what makes the game great. But now that people can connect technology with these rules, and the it, it kind of turns them to bush league, like what we're talking about with the stealing of signs. Another another topic I wanted to bring up was pine tar. For instance, most coaches let it go. Most managers let it go if they notice it. But example, a couple of years ago, Michael Pineda was blatantly obvious, putting it on his neck and feeling his neck the whole game. So in that case, it's kind of an unwritten rule that they're allowed to use pine tar, but he was so blatant about it that they just couldn't let go, mm-hmm. which is another thing with stealing signs. It's fine if you steal signs, but if you're using technology to do it, it's it turns to bush league, and you, there's there's kind of a gray area in the game right now with all the technology. But um, they need to fix it. Yeah, I don't think those unwritten rules and technology blend together very well. There's no. certainly been some clashes. Quickly figuring that out. Exactly. I mean, there was an issue the other day. Kevin and I were talking about um, uh, Eduardo um, on the Red Sox. I forget his Nunez. last name. Nunez. He uh, bunted. On CC Sabathia, who just came off the DL with a knee injury, he's an old man and uh, you know couldn't run. And I mean, like that's what they got to do. First of all, CC Sabathia has dominated the Red Sox in his career. He's always part, been part of a the good game. pitcher on him. I mean, this is a heated rivalry. The Red Sox don't hit for a lot of power. They play small ball all the time. But you know, a lot of people said that was bush league. They it's said, like, you know, he's this is an old player just came off the DL with a knee injury, and you're going to bunt on him. First of all, it's weight as well. It's like the it's like the argument against bunting in a perfect game or a no hitter. I I don't think it's bush league. People think it's bush league, but I think it's part of the game. I mean, you gotta do whatever it takes. If pitchers having a great day, you try to get it on. Yeah, any way you can. Any I mean, way that, you can. I mean, it's baseball. That's you, you follow lean the into rules. A, lean into a pitch. Like you do what you do to get on base and win the game. I mean, Personally, I have a problem with leaning into pitches during a no hitter. But, but I'm but I'm using it <laughs> as an example yeah. that. You do what you can to get on base and win the game because you're out there to win the game. You're not out there to be a victim of a no-hitter. So, Yes, it's completely understandable. Um, there's degree of respect that veterans command over younger players that um, has kind of been a trend that's going away yeah. because of all the young talent that's in the league now, bat flips and celebrations and stalking off the mound after yeah. a three-strikeout inning. I mean, stuff like that. I don't think players should take issue with it. It's good for other players to show emotion, and I'm um, kind of you know it makes it more exciting. This is a Definitely. like when the global landscape of sports right now, the NBA, which is a players' league, markets entirely about what the players do in their celebrations and how they react and how they react off the field as well. That's a big thing too. 
the NFL, all about touchdown celebrations. They recently took away some of the regulations, which I think was smart, um, on what you can do in the end zone after scoring. So you're going to see a little more touchdown celebrations this year. Um, by the way, happy um, kickstart to the NFL season. Just yep. want to throw that in there. But um, that's going to be exciting, sort of, maybe. Hopefully the Chiefs can put up a fight. Um, but overall, I think that you know baseball needs to adapt, and they're trying yeah. to become a players' league. You know, they're trying so hard to market the players. players. Weekend last weekend, that was a that was a did, uh, first effort by them. I mm-hmm. mean, if you look at the NBA, I don't mean to cut you off. But no, you're good. You look at the NBA players' league and look how successful the NBA. You know, they last couple of years, like five years ago, they were on the decline a little bit, and then they decided we're going to invest in our players, not the teams. And look at them now. You know, even after the season ended and the finals were over. That was probably the most exciting time. You know, people were just seeing where these players go, where they end up, free agency and trades. And you don't really see that in other sports. And I, it's something that Major League Baseball needs to try to take a shift towards because they have a lot of players like Clayton Kershaw, for instance. You know, just he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. You got to market him as an individual as well as the Dodgers, but they don't do that as much. They market the teams. You yeah, know, you can see that with ESPN with how they do Sunday Night Baseball and all that. It's all about the teams, not the players. Absolutely. And I mean, with how much like focus is put on one player at a time, because you know there's one at bat and one yeah. pitcher. You're not going to have multiple players doing something at once. There's always going to be the cameras on one guy, you know, unless there's a tag at first base yeah. or you know, play at the plate, something like that. But other than that, you're really only going to have one player on camera at once, which is, you know, something to take advantage of. You have so many chances to just get footage of this one player doing amazing things. You know, you throw that all into a highlight tape and make that a commercial. And, you know, people want to be like, hey, I want to watch that guy do it. Yeah, like you know, let's like, say the, the Astros playing the Dodgers, right? I, I would rather hear, oh, big matchup, Justin Verlander versus Clayton Kershaw than Astros versus Dodgers. Exactly. It's, the Astros versus Dodgers is a little less important than the matchup on the mound. Exactly. I mean, you, you got to take advantage of that name brand. I mean, people go out there to see their favorite player. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's fans of teams, and I mean, someone like the two of us who have watched baseball for as long as we have, I mean, you don't have to convince us to go to the games. We're going to go to the games anyway. So you're working to convince that other population of fans, you know, are on the fence. And exactly. baseball actually is above the NBA right now in terms of ratings, but there's a huge trend of older people watching. You don't have that younger generation. NBA is sweeping the younger generation. And that right millennial generation is going to grow up and they're going to watch the NBA when they're older, whereas you know Major League Baseball fans, the millennials aren't watching, so the, the ratings are going to get figuratively go down over time. So It'll be an interesting thing to see how they respond to it. But wrapping back around to the Watchgate um, topic, I think that it just adds fuel to the rivalry, which has been a fun one to watch all season, and hopefully one we get to see in the postseason as well. I mean, Yankees-Red Sox is as classic as it gets. So Yeah, just an interesting fact on the watch gate. The, the Red Sox are actually 8-11 and against the Yankees this year, so they're cheating, cheating and losing. But I guess, I mean, both sides are cheating, so mm-hmm. as, as the facts are starting to come out, we're figuring out both sides are cheating. But still, below 500, and you're using Apple Watches in the dugout. Bush League and you're losing... It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, even though they are atop the division. Yeah. Um, but moving forward, um, talking Justin Verlander, who uh, was obviously traded to the Astros. If you followed us throughout our podcasts um, over the past few months, you know we had an issue with the Astros after the trade deadline when they didn't make a move for a starter. Um, but, you know, they finally pulled the trigger. I think the Hurricane Harvey was a big part of that, where mm-hmm. the city really needed to pick me up, and the ownership decided, okay, 
you know, Verlander's the money, but we're going to do this for the city. Obviously, can't be proven, but that's what I, it looks like they've done from an, the outside perspective. So um, now they have a true number one at the top of their rotation, or as true as it gets. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say Verlander's necessarily a number one anymore, but he at least has that veteran presence. He's pitched in a couple World Series. Um, Definitely someone you want for you to pitch in the playoffs. And a name brand. I mean, like we said, Verlander um, is one of those guys who you go to the ballpark to see. So, you know, it gives kind of a light for Astros fans who they've seen their team slip in the second half. Kevin, what do you think this trade means to them? And, you know, is it enough to make them stand alone as the best team in baseball, or at least in the American League? I don't think so. I mean, when you look at it, watch the Indians down the stretch. They've won 14 in a row. We'll talk about them later. But the Astros, I mean, they have a great team, and they were hot early. And, they, and, and you know, this offseason they went after. They got their veteran presence in the, in the locker room with, with Carlos Beltran and some others to kind of make that clubhouse a little bit stronger moving forward. And they started off the season hot. You know, they were as good as the Dodgers for half the season. But, you know, I really dove into the numbers today. I went on um, baseball reference. And their their batting average in the second half has actually dropped off fifteen points. So they're stock they're not hitting as well. You know they have Lance McCullers is on the DL, um, and Dallas Keuchel hasn't pitched well since he came back off the DL. So you know there's a lot of question marks in that rotation. Uh, the back end will be interesting when they get to the postseason. With Ken Giles, I don't know. He doesn't have any playoff experience, so that'll be tough. It's always tough for a uh, closer with no experience to uh, pitch well in the playoffs, but. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of holes in this team, and I don't see them like it's a little early to be making predictions in the playoffs because anything can happen. It's baseball, like I say every week on this show. It's my staple. Um, there's there's too many holes, and I, I think the Indians are more complete team. So yeah, while the while the Astros do get better with the Justin Verlander trade, I I don't think they're the best team in the American League. You know, it's interesting. I definitely think that the Astros have the better offense, even with mm-hmm. the drop in batting average. Uh, Carlos Correa was on the DL for an extended period of time, and he was playing like an MVP candidate. That's center to any offense. Losing a player like that is going to hurt you. Um, but he's coming back healthy. There's Jose Altuve, who's an MVP candidate, which I don't see You know that name guy in the uh, Indians lineup. Obviously, they have guys like Francisco Lindor, yeah. who you know is a great shortstop and a great hitter, but they don't have that number one guy. And I think, you know, like the Nats losing Bryce Harper, it's it's a big hit to the team. And I think getting Correa in there and getting Altuve in there is one of the most fearsome one-two punches in baseball. I mean, Definitely. Astros have far and away scored the most runs in the league, and it's not even close. So they've got a powerful offense to make up for a little bit of their pitching, but it does worry me um, if they have to go up against the Indians in a playoff series um, because, you know, one-on-one with the pitchers, there's depth, they're totally outmatched. I mean, Verlander and um, Keiko are certainly a, a decent front two of the rotation, but after that, there's a serious drop-off. Yeah. So I really wouldn't be confident um, throwing any of those other guys out there in a playoff game. I mean, they're going to have to. But as of right now, the rotation doesn't scare me. So I think that's the biggest issue with them is just beyond that. I think you know when they were going in that trade deadline, a lot of people were saying they need two starters. And I still think that's the case, is they got one, and he's a good starter, and he's certainly going better than any of the other options they had. But at the same time... To play against the Indians, you need, you need more than... They have, that's they power have, pitching. If, if everyone's healthy come playoffs, they have three starters that are solid. Then after that, a lot of question marks, like Matt said. Get that fourth starter, and you can really start talking about how you match up against the Indians. 
The Indians, you know, last year, a great rotation. They went to the World Series without Carrasco um, and Salazar. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, Michael Brantley's playing well, too. Overall, that's just a scary offense that didn't do well in the first half. Edwin Encarnacion had a horrible first half, but he's really heated up. Kind of reminds me of what Manny Machado is doing right now, yeah. too. I mean, Definitely. just some good second-half stories from guys that... And Jay Bruce. Know, Jay Bruce. Yeah. I'll, talk, I'll talk about him later, but he's been terrific for them. You know, they were thinking about him, bringing him over, and he's really outplayed expectations. I know. Same with J.D. Martinez. This guys that just, you know, the, the hitter's market really wasn't that deep, yeah. the trade deadline. So there were only a couple key hitters that really moved, and Bruce is one of them, which Jay Bruce's name doesn't really pop off the page. But um, he's got decent power, as he yeah. showed with Cleveland so far. So they definitely are a force to be reckoned with. And I, I mean, anyone's guess right now who makes the ALCS, but yeah. that's definitely the matchup you want to see is between those two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can certainly see the Red Sox edging out one of them. In, or If Cleveland gets the one seed, which they're only three games back as of the episode right now, um, in for that top seed, which is certainly like capable for them to overcome Definitely. Astros for Especially that with spot. How, with how both teams are trending right now. Exactly. So I could easily see uh, Cleveland overtaking that one spot and then Houston and Boston having to square off for that uh, in the a- in ALDS. And I think that's going to be an exciting series in itself. Tough. With, with Chris Sale starting game one, that's a... I mean, Chris Sale versus Justin Verlander is going to be pretty exciting. You think, you think Verlander pitches game one over... over with how Bible? much he's being paid... And the name that he brings, yeah. I mean, it was kind of like when the Nats picked up Max Scherzer. Scherzer got this massive contract, um, had already won a Cy Young, but Steven Strasburg was the Nats' um, opening day starter for three straight seasons prior to that. So when Scherzer came in, they gave the nod to him because, you know, at the time, you didn't really know who was going to have the better season. Yeah. They both had super high ceilings. Um, Strasburg's always considered someone who could win a Cy Young if he could keep it help, yeah. keep, stay healthy and keep it all together, but he hasn't yet. So they gave that benefit of the doubt to um, Scherzer, and he got that starting nod. So I think that's what the Astros are going to do, give Verlander game one um, and see what happens from there. I mean, Keuchel's also fallen off in the second half. Same with yeah. McCullers. Both of them have not been. McCullers is almost up to four in the ERA department. Mm-hmm. After I mean, such a strong start, strong too. Strong start, yeah. I mean, that's kind of an implosion. You'd like to think that's probably because of the injury, but, you know, who knows right now. So um, we're only going to be able to see once, you know, everything starts to um, happen in the playoffs and everybody gets healthy. But I think Verlander game one, Keiko game two, McCullers game three, and then either Charlie Martin or Mike Fires for game four, which, you know, that doesn't really scare you. The Indians got guys like Trevor Bauer, um, who is a strikeout machine. Um, we did a poll earlier this year on um, players with a over four ERA and a K per nine above ten. And Trevor Bauer is one of them, and he's a guy I have on my fantasy team. Actually, I think he he's pretty underrated in that his numbers say that he should have better numbers than he does. You know those kind of peripherals unlucky. exactly. Um, so uh, he's definitely someone I'd watch out for in the playoffs. You could really turn things on and have put together a couple dominant starts down the stretch. So overall. I mean, Indians rotation is scary. It was scary last year. They were actually, let's just jump into them. I mean, overall, it was our next topic anyway. They're winners of 14 straight right now. This is the second straight season that they've won 14 games in a row, which is just crazy to think about um, how they've just been that dominant two years in a row. Obviously, the first half wasn't great for them, but now they've really turned things on and have become, you know, what looks to be the best team in the American League. Kevin, you've already touched on this a little bit, but. You know, what What most impresses you about 
them now versus first half, and what's what's the biggest difference? Well, the first half, it was simple. Everyone in Carmacion was not hitting. It, it, it took him a while to come around, and he's already up over 30 home runs. I mean, the guy's hitting terrifically. And then, you know, the the big trade I see is, is Jay Bruce. At 895 OPS, 128 OPS plus since coming over from, from the Mets. So he's been terrific. And then you look at Kluber's second half, 2.27 ERA, 7-1 on the mound, uh, 99 strikeouts in 75 innings. He's, he's been out of this world for them in the second half. And then another key player is, you know, they get the defense from Francisco Lindor every day. It's a fact. But he kind of struggled in the first half, hitting 252, um, only a 767 OPS. Um, but in the second half, 294, 358 on base, and over a 500 slugging. That's pretty good for a shortstop that plays terrific defense. It's good for 127 OPS plus, 27% better than the average player. Uh, I really like what I've seen out of this Cleveland Indians team in the second half. And last numbers I want to jump into is in the last 14 days, um, they played 13 games, so 13-0 in those 13 games. They're hitting 306 as a team with a 937 OPS as a team and a 150 OPS plus which is 50% better than the average team. That That's just ridiculous for me. Uh, 26 home runs. They're averaging two home runs a game. Uh, this Indians team is scary. You know, we knew the pitching was there. Uh, we, we saw it last year, you know, didn't have, like I said, Salazar or Carrasco in the playoffs. They get them back this year. Uh, bullpen and full swing, the, the question mark was always in the lineup, but then they went out and got Edwin and Carnacion. Still struggling a little bit. Now they go out and get Jay Bruce. And, you know, this team looks like the best team in the American League in my eyes. I mean, keep in mind, Andrew Miller, who's arguably the best reliever in baseball last year, mm-hmm. is on the disabled list right now. Yeah. And they've been winning all these games without him. I mean, Cody Allen is a more than serviceable closer, but Andrew Miller's always kind of been that hybrid guy that they throw in when they need him. I think Terry Francona runs his bullpen extremely well. Yeah. But also Jason Kipnis is on the DL, who's one of the better second basemen in baseball. He's expected back in the next two weeks. That's scary. So the fact that they're adding two more guys before – you know, playoff time comes, that's in itself is just ridiculous. And you talked about their hitting, but I think their pitching has also been better too. They're still striking out guys at the same amount that they were before, but their ERA first half was a three seven eight, it's now a three oh, and their whip was a whole one point two eight two one eight first half, one point one three five now. Strikeout per walks is almost a full half run um lower or higher now. So they're walking guys less, they're allowing less hits and Less runs are coming out across the board, which, I mean, obviously is what you want from a pitching staff. So, I mean, across the board, they've just been better. Um, I think they were like the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs were just a team that seemed like they were underachieving. From a, no matter how long it was, they struggled going into that all-star break. Never truly believed the Brewers were going to come out on top of that division. I mean, the Cubs look like the better team. They've actually had a recent slide. They're not doing too great at the moment, but... Um, with how mediocre the NL Central's been. They have four games up in the division over the Cardinals. Actually, they have won seven, seven in the last ten. So take that back. Cubs have not struggled as of late. They were struggling, I think, I believe it was two weeks ago, they had a little slide. Um, they don't look like the team that they were last year, but they definitely look better right now. Um, we talked about them on the show before that, you know, I wouldn't say they're in the upper echelon where the Nats and the Dodgers are in the National League. I believe those are the clear-cut one and two teams. Um, but then there's... There's a drop, there's the Cubs, there's a drop, and there's probably everybody else. I, Unless I you know. want to throw you, you Arizona make, in there. You can make an argument for the Diamondbacks, how they're playing right now. <laughs> they it's, are. They're only 10.5 games back. I mean, I say 10.5 like it's nothing, but 10.5 games back of the Dodgers. That was over 20 games at one point. Uh, 
the Diamondbacks have impressed me tremendously. I mean, if you look at their their starters, we'll dive into that a little later. But mm-hmm. no, the Diamondbacks have been an impressive team. They won thirteen straight. I mean, we're talking about the Cle- Cleveland winning fourteen. Arizona's sitting right behind them with yeah. thirteen game winning streak. So um, they are certainly um, while they're going to have to play in that wild card game, which is unfortunate for them. Uh, that's an exciting team to watch, and it's definitely the team I want to see facing yeah. the Dodgers in that NLDS. Is you know, put Zach Greinke up against Clayton Kershaw, two former teammates. I mean, going at it, two guys that have finished one, two in Cy Young before. Um, be very interesting. It'll be an exciting series to watch. I mean, it's baseball at its finest. Is yeah. it's just full of storylines, which I love about it. And because there's so many players, so many teams, so many games, chances for things to happen. That you know, stuff like this. It's it's why you watch. And I'm so excited for the playoffs. It's going to be so much fun. I mean, yeah, you talk about those matchups in the National League, and I'm just so excited for October. I mean, we talked about this earlier on the show, or not not today, an earlier episode when Connor McCarthy was on the show, whether the National League wildcard was better than the American League wildcard was better for baseball. And you can see it right now. The matchups are just lining up, um, making it great for the National League. And the American League, it's, it's honestly pitiful. I, I can say that right now. Um, you go into the wildcard and... The Angels are a half game out. The Orioles are one game out. But these teams are only three or four games over 500. And, and the Yankees are just going to blow. I don't want to get into it because <laughs> I've ranted about this before. But it's just so exciting for the to see what it could be like in the playoffs. So I'm excited. I mean, the race isn't where you want it to be in terms of AL wild card, obviously. Um, we, want, we want the best teams playing. And it seems like there's... Just so much talent on these top yeah. couple teams that you know there's not enough for the rest of the you know teams to follow. But I mean, there have been so many Cinderella stories in the playoffs. You really don't know what happens. I mean, we don't talk a lot about the Rockies. Rockies are you know have an equal chance of beating the um, Diamondbacks and make it into that series against um, Dodgers. And when's the last time we had a playoff series in Coors? I mean, anything can happen in Coors Field. I mean, you can have your backup catcher launch two home runs. Just you just like. Of course. So, I mean, there's so much that can happen. There's teams that could jump in. I like would love to see the Angels jumping in um, to that last wild card spot. The Orioles are playing really well. Um, Manny Machado back on the big stage. Zach Britton maybe getting another shot at actually getting on the field um, in a yeah. playoff game after last year. They held on to him for too long. So, overall, I think that even though the talent isn't there for a lot of these teams, um, in terms of you know stacking up against the powerhouses of baseball, it's still exciting to watch. Um, Definitely, I'm excited for this stretch run, and I think that um, you know September baseball can be fun if we really pay attention to these wild card races. And I'm hoping for a couple of game 163s. There's still a chance for like a five way tie in the American League. Um, Marlins have really fallen off. What happens of, if there's a five way tie in the American League? Do you know? That's uh, very interesting. I know we didn't we have a three way tie a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think two. Depending on head-to-head record, one team gets to wait, and the other two play, play in order to they, play that other team. That's so crazy. I, I know. wonder if they do five if they have like the best team in the head-to-head, and then they have two <laughs> semifinals to get to the. Nah, Honestly, I have no idea, same. but I think it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, either way, there's going to be some exciting stuff down the line. I mean, last year I believe there were like four teams within a game going into the final day. And um, there was going, there was like a really high chance there was a tie, and at the end, the way it worked out was just 
Nothing better than those, those 163rd games. You know, those are awesome, just watching those teams go at it for the wild card spot. And it, and it stinks for those teams because, you know, a team like the like the Angels, they throw out an ace in their game just to get into the wild card, and they can't use them in the wild card game. So, But it's awesome for baseball. It's awesome for fans. It's, it is. I mean, it's, it's playoffs. It's exciting. You know, one and done is not something that, you know, it just instituted into baseball, what, five years ago when they uh, came up with the wild card game. Before that, the only one and done you ever had was a game 163. So having to play to say you have a 163 win and you have to play the wild card game, that's two straight elimination, winner go home elimination games. Nothing better. I mean, nothing better. So if you can win those, you have all the momentum in the world going to the NLDS or the ALDS. mm -hmm. Awesome for the game. I'm excited. This is going to be. Fun, fun playoffs for sure. Um, and I believe that's going to send us over to something completely unrelated. Um, bottom feeder in the National League East, the New York Mets, who actually have a better record than the Phillies. Just had to throw that out there. Problem, um, problem. Yeah, but they have a payroll two times as high. I know. They should be in the playoffs. Should be better. Injuries be in have contenders. devastated them. Um, I think I've said this earlier, but Jerry Blevins and Jacob DeGrom are the only two players that have not either been on the disabled list this season or sent down. They've had a ton of problems, but I feel like at the forefront of all of those problems, the guy who is supposed to be the saving grace for the Mets is Matt Harvey. Harvey, you know, pitched an absurd amount of innings um, when they had that World Series run two seasons ago or three seasons ago. Can't do math. Um when they made it to the World Series and lost against the Royals. The next year, he's battled injuries. Since then, he's never really been you know, the dark knight that he was supposed to be. So that's kind of put his future in question with the Mets. I mean, he's only locked up for a few more years. At this point, the Mets might be gearing up to let him go, um, let him walk once he you know, hits that free agent market, which I can't blame him for all the injury uh, struggles he's had. Kevin, what do you think the Mets do with him? I think I think you let him pitch for the Mets next year. You hope he has some value going into the trade deadline. You try to trade him. But honestly, you just let him work out his contract, play out the rest of his contract, and, and you let him go. I, I, I think the pressure got to him. I think New York City was too much for him. Uh, the whole everyone loved the dark night, everything about that. But I think, I think the New York pressure just got to him. I mean, he hasn't had a good season since 2015 where he threw 190 innings with a 2.71 ERA. But... You know, before that, he missed the 2014 season. Uh, last year, he had a 4.86 ERA. This year, right around six. So, um, not even a pitcher you can put in your rotation. Not even the Phillies can put him in their rotation. That's how bad he's been this year. So, I think the Mets just let him play out his contract um, and then, you know, let him sign with a different team. If anyone wants him, I don't know if I would. I mean, a change of scenery might help, but who knows. Yeah, you look at that free agency class that he's going to hit. It's the big one, not this offseason, but next offseason. When guys like Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Jake Arrieta, yeah. uh, whole list of names, Andrew Miller, Zach Britton, they're all going to be free agents, and that's going to be a lot of money going around. So a lot of teams are going to be shelling out payroll to some of these top players, and they're not really going to be able to have those mid-major deals. I feel like there's either going to be hit or miss for a lot of these players. You're either going to sign really big or sign pretty low. So at this point... You know, with the way he's been pitching, it really, really is going to hurt him more than it would in any other free agency yeah. class, simply because of the who, the other talent that's going to be there. I mean, you know, even in a weak free agent class, he doesn't get a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just look at those numbers. He hasn't had a good year in two years. I mean, 
you get paid for what you do, and he's not doing much. So. And he had Tommy John, so yeah. you know who wants to sign him to a five-year deal? Well, and the nerve, and the nerve, the nerve issue is, is very concerning. I mean, even if he was pitching well, you gotta learn look at that long-term health. Thing. And he's 28 years old. You know, he should be in the prime of his career, but he's just breaking down, and it's it's concerning. I mean, you can you can kind of overlook some of that and give the guy 100 million dollars if he is performing out there. You can take the risk, but he's not pitching well. Can't stay healthy. I don't see why the Mets would keep him. I mean, this is already a, a lost season for him. He's five nine seven ERA. He's only thrown seventy two innings, which is the second lowest total of his career, aside from when he missed all of twenty fourteen with Tommy John. Yep. So um, his FIP is a six two three. I mean, that's saying that he's actually gotten luckier than he's actually been pitching. So I, I think the season's already. <laughs> so he's really like a seven or eight ERA <laughs> when you really think about his luck factor. <sighs> I can't even imagine, but. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball in 2013, fourth in the Cy Young Award uh, vote and an all-star. So, I mean, that year he was at 2.27 ERA in 180 innings with 191 strikeouts. Like, that's that's number one stuff right there. But, you know, he fell off the face of the earth, the injuries, the pressure of New York City, they all got to him, and, and look at him now, it's... Really pitiful. Yeah, there's definitely a character issue with him too. I mean, there was I remember there was a game where he blew up. I think it was last season. Yeah, it was against the Nats, and he gave up a whole bunch of runs and darted reporters. He he skipped out, didn't talk to him, and he was a guy that was known to you know after a big start he'd go out there and you know be like yeah very I, I did great yeah yeah I mean, I mean he was he was kind of humble but he would he would talk to reporters and was willing to you know go uh, talk about his success. But when you mess up, you got to own up to that too. So I think that if you're not willing to take those, especially in a market like New York, yeah. you got to be willing to, you know, accept your losses and, and learn from them and um, be willing to confront them, especially when you're in a spot like like that. So it, it, next season's gonna, like I said, this year's a lost season for him. Next year's gonna be huge. I mean, it's gonna be a contract year. Um, he's got to be able to show there's still something left in the tank for him. You know, for pitchers to or teams to buy into. Because yeah. he has another season like this, I wouldn't sign him for a one-year deal. I mean, I think unless if he's a, if he's he a can, non-contender. If he can prove he can pitch an, like an average pitcher next year, or right around average, he gets signed. But if he puts up another year like this, I honestly don't know if anyone will give him a, a deal. I mean, it might be a minor league deal, take yeah. a shot on him. But I, he's it's it's crazy because he was pitching like he could be a two hundred million dollar pitcher. I know. Up there with the Kershaws and the Scherzers and those guys. And and now he might not even get a minor league deal. So it, it's crazy to think that a career can turn around that fast. And it's it really just explains the Mets this year. You know, they've had injuries up and down the lineup mm-hmm. um, through the rotation. It's really sad that, I mean, their one bright spot was, was Noah Syndergaard and tears his lat. Like the worst thing, the most bizarre thing you could do. And Mm-hmm. goes out there and does it. It just He also didn't crazy. get an MRI when he should have at the beginning of the season. Yeah. He left to start with elbow trouble and then was like, ah, I'm fine. I don't need to get an MRI. I mean, why would you ever turn down an MRI? That just doesn't make sense <laughs> to me in any way. I mean, Strasburg did the same thing. Like, they, went into that. Well, they went into that, though, on ESPN, and they were talking about how MRIs really suck. And I, I could understand if he doesn't think it's a, a serious issue denying the MRI, but... I think at the end of the day, the Mets, the Mets, you have to make your players get them wrong. I know it's better safe than sorry. You're investing so much money in these players, you can't, especially Syndergaard. You you just can't afford to not do it. So yeah, I mean that's that's another thing is like when pitchers 
the Strasbourg has been dealing with a couple of injuries. I keep pulling all these Nats references, but Strasbourg's been dealing with these minor like cramps and stuff throughout the past couple of weeks since he's come off the DL. You know, these nagging small injuries that haven't like yeah. you know forced him out of his start, but he's clearly pitching in pain. Yeah. And I just kind of question Dusty Baker's moves there. It's just like you know, get these guys healthy. Why risk it for a meaningless September start against the Marlins when you're winning by like five runs um, and have him? He it was on his landing foot, so. Or no, one week was on his landing foot. He had a calf, a calf cramp. Yep. And then this past week was on the foot he actually steps off the mound with. So either way, I mean, you know, you, you can't have these guys out there for these meaningless games. And the Nats are, what I said, 18 games up in the division, about to clinch. You know, get them healthy. You need them for the, for the postseason. These are going to be much better teams than you're playing right now. The Nats have had a relatively soft schedule this year. So especially with how mediocre the yeah. division's been, I mean, you play almost half your games against them. So overall, it's just kind of like, you know, know your limits. And you're right, investing all this money into a player, you don't want to take a risk like that to lose him because you threw him out there for an extra inning against a team that's not going to be making the playoffs versus having him, you know, pitch game two of the NLDS. Yeah, it's also about the future. It's not just about this year. you mm-hmm. got to look towards the future. I know all these teams get these young players that are looking towards the future, but Collins made the mistake with the Mets. They had all the potential in the world to have one of the best rotations in baseball for years to come. And now look at them. They 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 have no one in their rotation. The only somewhat bright spot is Steven Metz. Mm-hmm. And and if, DeGrom. if and yeah, and if their rotation was healthy, those guys would be kind of hidden. But they're they're pitching well and they need to look at the future. You know, I've ranted about this on the show before. But the Nats and, and Dusty Baker, they need they need to sit down with Dusty Baker and say, hey, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to win the division no matter who we throw out there the rest of the year. So let's get the guys some rest, maybe go to a six-man rotation, maybe give some guys some starts off. And don't throw them, don't make them throw complete games. Like I saw Strasburg throw a complete game the other day, mm-hmm. which, okay, I understand maybe the pitch count was low and all that. But we don't – Then as a, I, I'm not a fan of the Nats, but I'm saying – there's no point in risking it. Mm-hmm. You're going to the playoffs. Why Why even risk it? Just pitch them five, six shutout innings and then let the bullpen. If you lose the game, you lose the game. You're still making the playoffs. You'd rather lose a couple games in September because you took out Strasburg than not have Strasburg in the playoffs. So I, I, it bothers me that these coaches leave these guys in for so long because they know what the good of the future of the team is. And they're not looking out for it. Dusty Baker has, you know, an interesting uh, approach to managing pitchers. His Definitely. pitch count has not, you know, 100, 110 is the new 100 for him. Uh, he doesn't really, honestly, it's obscene to happen um, with Scherzer and Gio Gonzalez and getting that. And Tanner Roark, they've all gotten their pitch counts up there before. I don't think Strasburg's gotten that high, which, thank God, I mean, with the amount of injuries he's battled and Tommy John in the past, I wouldn't recommend that at, at all. But... I think an interesting parallel um, between Strasburg and Harvey is that you know people wonder if because that that season where he threw almost I mean he threw 190 innings in the playoffs or in the regular season and another like 40 or 50 in the playoffs yeah. at, right after coming off Tommy John and people believe you know that's what set down all these these injuries is you know they didn't you know skip a few starts or have a shutdown and people are like well what what would have happened if that happened look at Strasburg I think that's that's an example of what kind of pitcher Harvey could have been. Um, if the Mets had handled him correctly, obviously, you know, maybe the Nats shouldn't have shut down Strasburg and just had him skip a few starts so he could pitch in the playoffs. But overall, 
he's in it for the long run. They now have him signed to a long-term deal. I like Strasburg. I think he, he still has the capability of being an elite pitcher. I mean, his ERA is, what, a 2-9 now. I think it's beneath that after his last start. So, you know, he has elite stuff. And while he's battled injuries this year, it looks like he's going to be able to pitch in the playoffs. And that's really all that matters at this point. So um, I'm excited. I think the Strasburg is, you know, one of the better pitchers in baseball when healthy. And part of, it's just kind of like what could have been with Matt yeah. Murphy. I mean, the injuries are going to come. You see it with Strasburg. I mean, they don't. They don't overpitch him. They were very careful earlier in his career to not overpitch him. But the injuries are going to be there. The guys throw so hard nowadays. The injuries just, they flow. It's, it's what happens. But you accelerate those injuries and make them happen more frequently when you let them go out there and throw 120 pitches when they really don't need to throw 120 pitches. And, you know, the pitchers have too, many, too much pride. They're out there. I'm not coming out of the game with 120 pitches in the game on the line. But... You need, they need to put that pride away and think about the, the big picture in the playoffs and next season, and a lot of these pitchers aren't. So It'll be interesting to see what the Mets do um, these next few offseasons. Last year, they really didn't make any moves. They just signed Ioannis Cespedes um, and kept their core intact. They had an injury plague season a year ago, and they believed it was just injuries. And uh, with all our healthy guys, we'll be able to compete for a division title with the Nats, and Clearly, the injuries were too big of an issue where it just took over the team once again. Yep. Um, at some point, that's got to fall in the hands of the training staff, which they did fire a few years ago. So I'm Still curious to see if they're going to do that again and do re- another overhaul. They rehire the same staff? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it with the results that they've had. Definitely. But um, it's interesting to see what they're going to do over the offseason. They do have a lot of money tied up to guys like Cespedes. Um, and a few other uh, hitters on their team. So they did make some moves to clear up a little bit of payroll at the trade deadline. Um, it's, I'm wondering, you know, in a market like New York, you don't really tank. You know, you can't afford to um, with the amount of media attention you get and number of fans that just watch in general. You know, you, they go for it year after year. So they're probably going to make a move or two over the offseason to try and jump back into things. But, I mean, with the way that the Nats look for next year, I mean, they're going to have – their whole team intact, basically, um, minus one or two guys. I mean, Sean Doolittle won't be back, so they'll have a closer issue. Or no, I think he will. I think he, Sean Doolittle will be back. So I take that back. Um, but for most of the part, um, they're going to need to. They're going to have the same team. Um, and Marlins, Phillies, and uh, Braves don't look like they're really going to be stepping up too much next year. Not I think. next year. Yeah. I mean, Maybe Braves. Two or three years from now, the Braves and the Phillies will be exactly. Like, and Marlins. Way up the standings. Marlins look like they're about to start a rebuild. That's what the rumor is with Derek Jeter is that he wants to slash a ton of payroll. So that could mean a John Carlos Stanton trade, which would really shake things up. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But overall, the Mets, if they really want to compete, it's going to be for a wild card spot. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking at these numbers because I remember talking about Justin Verlander a couple episodes ago, and I looked at his career innings, and there were over 2,000 career innings. I'm looking at Matt Harvey, only 592 innings in his career, and not, he hasn't thrown 200 innings in a season in his career. So it's not the innings with him. They didn't pitch him too much. They, there's something going on in that clubhouse training staff. These guys aren't getting the, the right training, the right recovery, the right rehab. Um, so I, they need to just 
get rid of all these players. Yeah. Or no, not get rid of, get rid of the training staff. <laughs> the training Why staff. I say players? Some of the players. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, get rid of Matt Harvey. I mean, halfway through the season, you know, what if what if the Mets fall off next year and Harvey's pitching well? They they might be a good trade deadline piece. That could be the guy we're that's, talking about. That's what they're probably hoping for. Sonny Gray point. or like you know, Sonny Gray fell off last year and then yeah. had a good first half. So. The A's took advantage, and he hasn't pitched that well in New York. So yeah. he's actually, you know, we were kind of ripping him for trading him too early. But right now, it's kind of looking right the right move. So we'll yeah. see how that happens down the stretch. But I mean, that could be the very same storyline with Matt Harvey next year. Is you know, do the Mets let him go? And I mean, he's pitching well, and the Mets still don't perform. I, then I, I, I wouldn't well be. put it past the Mets to release him at some point. Honestly, he's gotten to that point where he's that bad. They might just release him. If there's the Mets, not, if the Mets not too much money on the table, so they turn their injuries around and uh, he doesn't pitch well. So the opposite, and they have a good year, but Harvey is you know lagging behind. They have so much depth starting pitching wise. Yeah. I mean, they got Mats, they got Degrom, they got Syndergaard, they got Zelman, they got um, another Zach Wheeler. I mean, there's so many names. There's Seth Lugo. So many starting options that you know Harvey doesn't keep up. He's going to be let go. Um, they're not going to be able to trade anything for him. So if the Mets do do well next year, I definitely expect for them to let him go if Harvey's cont- struggles continue. Yeah, I think they just they wait and see. It's a wait and see situation. If he pitches well, then they'll try to trade him. If he doesn't, then adios to Matt Harvey. So. Adios. See you never. I mean, <laughs> he might get signed to like I, – I think if he, I think signs, he could sign signed. a one-year deal with a non-contender. Maybe the A's give him a shot or something. I see a team, like a, a small market team, giving him like no money to pitch for them, and maybe you know he can turn his career around. But mm-hmm. And maybe he gets traded at the de- trade deadline to a contender midway through like that season. A, see like an Oakland A's, Tampa Bay Rays, so, somewhere in that ballpark, a team, not a small budget, looking to make trades at the deadline. So. I mean, the Braves have been shown that they're willing to do that too. I mean, mm-hmm. with um, Jaime Garcia. Jaime Garcia and Bartolo um, Colon, and they signed Knuckleball. R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. So, I mean, Those were all kind of eye-scratching moments but I mean they did it honestly I think they did it just to trade them which makes sense these are they're just trying to stack that farm system so um, if you're a rebuilding team um, why not you know sign a couple guys to some low risk deals and just see if they pan out and you've got a good show for your fans when they um, come to the games and then you've got an asset to use the trade market halfway through the season so we'll see what the bets end up doing next year I think the offseason is going to be pivotal for them in preparing for that final season yeah. before the big wave, before a bunch of players hit that, you know, free agency market, because everyone's trying to slash payroll right now yeah. and have enough room. I know the Nats um, have so much money coming out the book. Yeah, Jason Moore steals. You know, he's positioned themselves very well for that free agent class. The Phillies. The Phillies. Yeah, the Phillies I think they do one of the lowest payrolls in baseball right now, but they can they can go out and do whatever wherever they want. They they could go after Harper. They could go after Machado. I mean, as long as those guys hit free agency. But. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll definitely be exciting because they'll have their young players up. I mean, you even see it with Reese Hoskins now. I mean, he was on uh, Barstool Sports Baseball Podcast the other day because, you know, he's just becoming a well-known guy in the, in the league, and it's exciting for the Philadelphia Phillies. So. Can you tell we like the NL East? Yeah. <laughs> um, big, fan, big, fan. big fan overall. I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Um, thank you, everyone, again for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at Visitors Bullpen. Like us on Facebook. We're live on Periscope and Facebook Live. Um, you can check us out at Blog Talk Radio, which is published onto iTunes and TuneIn Radio. I think we're working on Spotify. Not sure if we're there yet, um, but we're getting there. Um, you're going to be able to follow us wherever. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell. Kevin, audience, thanks for tuning in. Adios, guys.